Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, I'm super excited to share the good news that I have written another book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, responds to the cost of living crisis that many people find themselves in. Whether you are paying off a mortgage, you've paid off a mortgage, you aspire to buy a house and have a mortgage, or you know someone who does have a mortgage, this book will have lots of frugal tips and tricks as well as some finance hacks for you. I would really love your help to pre-order the book. Pre-ordering is so important for authors because it lets us know that this book is going to be fabulous. Thank you so much. Yuma Frugalisters and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. This guest is someone who is a financial educator, commentator and three-time author. But first, I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoyed this podcast and find it useful for you, please play it forward by sharing with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast. Nicole Pedersen McKinnon is on a mission to get Aussie savvy, solvent, then financially secure. She is a longtime financial literacy campaigner, educator, MC, speaker, and TV and radio commentator. She is also an ambassador for ASICsMoneySmart.gov.au. And she's also a fan of frugal living. Many of her writing articles feature tips to save money and get ahead financially. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for having me, Serena. Oh, I am so super excited. I'm such a fan of your work. I really am. You really make it quite hip and cool to save money. Oh, likewise. We're going to to talk some frugal fails here. We are indeed. So this is going to be the topic for today is not just frugal living, but frugal fails. And as you know, we're recording this through some tougher economic times. You know, the outlook's not fantastic. So from your perspective, how are you seeing the cost of living crisis affecting people and what they spend and what they do? Yeah, look, it's biting hard now. You can just see it everywhere. And, and, you know, we've got these rate rises that started in May last year and just have been relentless. It's sort of been coming, you know, far and fast with a lot of households contending with maybe an extra $1,000 in such a quick amount of time on their mortgages. Then you've got the price of everything else spiking as well. So you've got petrol, energy, and even just feeding the family is so much more expensive all of a sudden. So there's been some research out by um, AAMI actually, which is saying that 86% of us are are concerned and it's really affected our finances. 69% of us have reduced our discretionary spending. Wow. And And that's really, that's everyone. I mean, that's two in three Aussies. It's huge. Yeah, and I'm noticing it as well. Like, you know, the amount of people now who are like, oh, no, I won't come down for coffee. I'll just have instant coffee. Now, I haven't been a regular go and get takeaway coffee person, I think, ever. But I was always sort of in the minority. But now I'm noticing that actually um, it's not so weird anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, you know, one of those um, George Clooney style espresso machines, you know, (laughs) they for themselves pretty quick. (laughs) <laughs> they do indeed. And of course, there's cheaper versions of them as well. But I, I totally yeah. get that. Very happy to report that I've never liked coffee. So I know nothing about this. <laughs> I am happily a tea drinker. And I have been for a long time. And actually, I was asked to talk about the amount that I spent on coffees. And 
decided to crunch the amount that I spent on a tea bag. And my husband and I often do share the same tea bag because they're usually too strong for one cup anyway. And increasingly, we've been moving to loose leaf as well. And I was shocked by the savings. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I know, I know my parents and, you know, you've got that sort of generational thing where, where people in our previous generations are really used to being, you know, really tight with their finances and really eking it out. My parents will actually not just reuse or share a bag, but, but put it in a pot and have it like a little <laughs> ramekin and have it for a couple of days on the go. So it gets pretty disgusting, I'm sure. But um, again, I don't drink tea, so I, I really can't comment on that. I'm no expert on that one either. <laughs> I'm not drinking coffee nor drinking tea, and I'm intrigued by this tea bag that keeps going. In fact, I'm not sure that I really want to think about it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are too far. They really are. (laughs) Well, potentially, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some frugal fails. I just happened to be at the stock take sales last week. I've got a new job, and I'm working in the CBD, and I went for a walk at lunchtime and found that things were on sale. And I was a little bit miffed, actually, because I just bought something the week before and then suddenly it was 50% off, which I must say, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, but what I was really interested to observe is that there just didn't seem to be a lot of people around. It was really oddly quiet and just the whole experience was different. It was very different to the sort of Boxing Day sales that I remember years ago where people were literally running to get in. It was The whole mood was, was quite subdued. Are you seeing this as, as well? Are Australians still actually shopping? Yeah, look, I think the money mentality has very much flipped and it's it's happened really quite quickly, you know, when you think about it. And those sales have expanded as as the retailers try and entice us in. I do think that we're all we're all looking for that economic angle at the moment. I really do because times, you know, the the, the money that's available, the discretionary money that's there is so little that we're probably jumping online a little bit more and looking for that economic edge as well. You know, that, yeah. that kind of Friday, Cyber Monday, looking for the cashback app that's going to give us that little bit of an extra kind of boost and I guess even justify the spending that we're doing at the moment. And I mean, the fact is that people aren't really spending much on anything except what they need right now. Yeah, I can totally hear that. Is it, when we're looking at who's shopping, is it still the case that more women are shopping than men or is it kind of equal? Uh, Look, that's a really interesting one. It's controversial territory right now. But, I mean, as a mass generalisation, the fact is that mostly it's women who run the household finances, whereas it might be the men who look at the bigger picture stuff, like the investment, which is a whole other um, (laughs) that we need to to, um, record because it's so dangerous to sort of abdicate responsibility for that. But yeah, um, we women do often run that day-to-day stuff, uh, you know, what the children need, what the household has, has to have to keep running. And what's kind of interesting, that study I referred to earlier, women are most likely to experience this bargain regret over all kinds of different things, which makes sense because that's what we're buying is all kinds of different things. Bearing in mind that it was an insurance survey, it was actually men who came out regretting most of all the insurance purchases. So again, that probably speaks to the fact that maybe the guys are doing those bigger picture kind of more responsible purchasing, which ladies is no good. We need to talk. (laughs) (laughs) We do indeed. And, you know, more responsible. Yeah, there's just there's so many layers there. We're not going to go there on this podcast, but I can see the layers. 
Well, we were getting sexist, so, you know, but I think in general, I think, you know, that the she'll be right Aussie is morphing into she'll be responsible, um, <laughs> you know, to make that gender specific as well. And that, you know, and that's not necessarily bad thing. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk a bit about the emotional aspects as well about shopping. I talked about how muted I noticed it has been recently, but in the past, it's almost felt like literally grabbing things out of bargain bins. Even the online things that happen, the the click frenzies, you mentioned the Cyber Mondays and of course the Black Fridays and everything else. How do people and why do people get so caught up in this, this rush? I think that a discount off face value, a saving off face value is really key to everyone at the moment. And I talked about that kind of angle, that economic angle idea. Getting that that saving feels like a victory right now. And we kind of need our wins. You know, mm. there's not many out there because the price of everything that's essential is going up. Energy is one of the main ones. Um, energy, petrol, everything else, you know, along with the interest rates. So those those kind of smaller victories are are really quite key. And then you can also blame your brain. So there's a lot that goes on. We are sort of hardwired to like and enjoy discounts, particularly when when we are so constrained financially. So, you know, there's happy hormones that get released in the brain when we shop. So there's serotonin, for exactly, uh, for example, sorry, that, that gets released. Now, that's especially if we're shopping for somebody else. That's that real feel-good oh, kind of hormone. If we're buying gifts, buying it's a gifts. serotonin surge. Yeah, exactly. So that's why sometimes that's more enjoyable even than buying for yourself. It is. Yeah, exactly, right? But the discount hormone is dopamine. So that's the one that's going to give you the happy hit. But the, the difficulty and what you need to make sure you do is override any kind of spending, spending biases in there, which are going to make the hit afterwards anything but happy. So balancing that out. But, yeah, it, that, that makes total sense, you know, and I guess marketers know this, don't they? So they capitalise on it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, like I said, everyone wants to feel like they're – kind of having a bit of a victory, they're gaming the system a little bit, they're doing really well, even though they don't have much with which to do it, do you know what I mean? They're still getting better value and value is really the key thing to all of this than they otherwise would. What kind of areas are people looking for a bargain on? Is, is there a, Are there particular trends in terms of where people are seeking this kind of V for victory when it comes to shopping? Yeah, so apparently there are. So this survey says that clothing is one of the, it was the most popular area, actually. Not necessarily where people are spending less. So it doesn't get at that precisely. But what it gets at is where we've got that real bargain-seeking mentality and where we've kind of flipped that financial brain to go, you know what, if that's full price, I'm not interested. I want to like really work that angle and get something for nothing. So clothing's up there as the highest. We've got personal accessories. So two and three of these seeking the bargains in clothing. Personal accessories is about 57%. Home decor, you know, not so much of that. Oh, don't really like this anymore. Let's change it around. Not so much of that going on. But if there is, then we really want to feel like we've got a deal. That's 57%. Well, shoes and footwear, you know, 54% that one. And what really does concern me, though, is this idea. It's an insurance survey. Insurance came in number six behind all those things. And that is incredibly dangerous because you do not want cheap and cheerful insurance. All the rest of the stuff, if you buy poor quality, you get the chance to buy that again. If you don't have that insurance, that general insurance coverage when you need it, there's no second chances. You know what I mean? You're just not covered. 
Exactly. And we've seen in recent years some really phenomenal natural disasters. And it, it's always mind boggling to me how many people are not insured at all or really chronically underinsured. Yeah, 100%. And, and I, I mean, you know, talking about this bargain regret kind of concept. So one in five Aussies who have purchased bargain insurance, bearing in mind that the cost of it is going up universally it is. because of those natural disasters that you, you speak about. One in five have regretted their decision. And of those who've actually made a claim, that bargain regret is so bad, 40% of them have had massive financial hardship as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, if you can, you know, if there's a fire or flood and you cannot rebuild your property, because of course, if there's a fire or flood, you're also going to see rebuild prices spike in your area. So yeah. you're going to make sure that that insurance cover you've got on home and contents is sufficient no matter what, you know, no matter if there's a shortage of materials, if the builders are all, are all one year booked in advance, that you can get that home back. It's just, like I was saying, it all comes down to quality, not cut price. That's super dangerous on insurance. We've seen this firsthand. We've had friends who live in Tathra on the New South Wales southern coast. Fire went through there a year before the, 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 the bigger fires elsewhere and their neighbour's house went up in, in flames. But thankfully, the neighbour was able to rebuild because they had insurance. But you could see very clearly now going back those places that did have insurance and those that didn't. Yes, 100%. And, and you know, now because of all the pressures on the insurance companies, some policies have holes in them that you can drive a truck through. It's really great to shop around. It's really important for insurance and all your financial products. But you need to make sure that what you're getting is like for like and it will be there for you when you need it most. There's no point spending money on a policy that's never going to pay out for you. You may as well throw it away. That is that is not being a clever money management manager or frugal. Yeah, and it, that actually begs the question about why these policies are allowed to exist anyway. But <laughs> Yeah, I know. And, and, I mean, they did a lot to standardise the flood definitions after the Queensland floods, you know, a little more than a decade ago. So there's been a lot of work on it. There's a lot in terms of you being able to see at a quick glance who that policy was actually intended for. And it's, it is, though, still about reading the fine print because you don't want to be giving up the cover in the crucial areas where you may actually need it. Yeah, exactly. And it is hard in an environment which we've seen in the last couple of years too, where house prices are increasing and the costs of building are quite are getting higher too. I mean, it's changed a little bit this year, of course, but it is hard to you know, know the right amount to insure for too. And it's easy just to sort of keep it at a lower level rather than increasing the premium. It is. And that's where maybe you need to look at other levers to pull to make that, that premium more affordable for like a quality insurance policy. So maybe it's upping your excess, for example. Maybe it's just tweaking, you know, motor burnout. There's all sorts of different levers that you can pull to make it more affordable. But you don't want to be the one you don't want to have in jeopardy is is the rebuild. If you happen to need it, that's the one that needs to be there for you and you need to have that backing of your insurance company. Oh, most definitely. We've touched a little bit on housing insurance, but in general, are there particular types of insurances that many Australians are perhaps too frugal on and underinsuring? Yeah, so it's funny because I'm, I'm guessing that is the situation. So there's a list of those policies where people experience the most bargain regret or, you know, we could equally call that buyer's remorse, which, which presumably means they've had a super bad experience with it or that they feel maybe that they're not getting anything for it. 
Do you know what I mean? And that's, again, that's a very uncomfortable psychological kind of feeling when you're forking out money for it. So motorcycle insurance, people are seeking out bargains on that one. Income protection insurance, one in three people are seeking out bargains on that one. And maybe we can come back to that one because that's a really big one. Mm. Travel insurance, really high car insurance, and then home and contents insurance as well. So so yeah, lots of bargain hunting going on, but just, I guess that's really my concern in this aspect. <laughs> Gimp on the shoes, not on the insurance. Of course, it'll never happen to me. And I actually, I'm going to share something a little bit personal here, which is early in my marriage to my first husband, we were doing things a little bit tough. And at that stage, he was taking a lot more responsibility of the finances than I was. So he just didn't pay an insurance policy on the house because he didn't want to stress me out about money. <laughs> so oh, wow. he just didn't pay it. Oh, wow. Anyway, I discovered that and I kind of read the riot act on him and I just went, from now on, I'm taking over the finances in terms of paying the bills. I'm so glad that you discovered that in the worst possible way with having to actually claim on that policy that, you know, you defaulted on. So thank goodness. Well, yeah, thank goodness. He actually from was from a non-English speaking background. And I wonder too, how many people come to Australia and they don't understand the importance of this? Oh, look, it, it's, it is super daunting. It is. But look, it's just, you know, it's one of those things, attack attack your kind of economic audit right now because we're all doing it attack it one step at a time you know even even like one a month review your insurances absolutely a particular kind every every month and just look at that fine print read the product disclosure statements compare who is actually covered and and who that who is the target market of that insurance and see whether that is is because of it going to be appropriate for you you did want to come back to talk about something. You wanted to come back and talk about yeah. income protection insurance. Income protection insurance. Now, this is a really key one. And the thing is about if you're a grown-up, income protection insurance is really important. And that's a lot of insurance when it comes to that life insurance. We kind of think debt and dependence. But income protection insurance is important even if kind of you're a single person and sort of footloose and fancy free and don't have any of that because without someone else's salary coming into your household, you know, what would happen if you were injured or became ill and were unable to work? So income protection insurance is really key. It's one of those that is on the chopping block often for people though because a lot of people have an optional extra. But look again, back to the levers that you could pull, there's a lot you can do with income protection insurance. So it replaces normally about 75% of your income up until retirement age if you're not able to work kind of again. There's things you can do, like you can opt for a longer waiting period, for example, before that, that payout kicks in and that dramatically cuts your premiums. So you can opt to wait three months or even six months. So the insurer is not taking on so much risk because hopefully you're back fit and healthy by then and working. But if you really need it, it's there for you. And hopefully most people have emergency funds, although as we learned through COVID, a lot of people don't. Well, exactly. And that's where I call it. A, I call it a holy shit fund for when <laughs> shit happens. Because sometimes it does. And that's where, you know, it should be that matching three months or six months so that you're right, you can tide yourself over for that period. And then when it's actually crunch time, you've got that kind of safety net of the income protection insurance kicking in. Yeah, it's part of good financial planning. But of course, we're all humans and life gets busy and it, it's yeah. hard to make time to read the, the PDS for things like insurance, but it's really important. 
it's so very important. It's like I cannot overstate it enough. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, um, it's goodness, it's gonna derail your finances for decades potentially if you don't have that. It's the fundamental first step of getting your money right. It's protect before you look to to prosper, basically. Yeah, well, actually, I like that saying, protect before prosper. Mm. That, that's lovely, very mm. catching. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And and not, not a lot of people kind of look at what they've got and say, oh, need to make sure this is going to be okay. People, you know, as humans, we instead kind of look outwards and go, oh, I need more. You need fundamentally to keep what you've got right now and then look to kind of grow and build. That's a great way of looking at it in terms of yeah. um, our abundance and maintaining what we've got and building on it. Now, finally, do you have a frugalista tip to share? Now, I'm sure you have dozens. You probably have hundreds, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe just one. Uh, look, I do. And I, I think I'd like to speak to, you know, what we've just been talking about really and sum it up and just go, go there's 69% of people, like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, cutting back their discretionary spend. That hurts. Nobody enjoys that. I think that probably the place where there's the most fat in your finances is your financial product. You might be overpaying on everything, everything from your mortgage to your every insurance in your life, your utilities, all of those sort of fundamental bills. And it's those so-called, we often think of them as fixed costs, where you probably can save the most amount of money. Just interrogate them one, maybe one month at a time. You know, don't get overwhelmed by this stuff. Like you said, we're busy. It's a little bit complicated sometimes. But interrogate them one aspect at a time. Get that fine print happening. Make sure that, <laughs> that you know, you find the quality products that are going to be there for you when you need them. And they may even save you money along the way. Wonderful. Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest. Now, how can people find and connect with you? I know you're a regular commentator in the media as well. Where's the best way that people can reach you? Yeah, you can look at my Nicole Pedersen McKinnon Money Facebook page, or you can look at my Instagram page where I post a lot of my content, a lot of tips and tricks and advice. So that's at Nicole Ped McKay Money and lots and lots of content I'm pumping out all the time to try and help people through this. Hopefully it will be relatively short-lived and those interest rates will start coming down before too long. <laughs> well, thank you for the important work that you do. So that's absolutely fabulous. Right back at you, Serena. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.